Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic D Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at edenfoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit theorganicview.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. On today's show, Tom and I are going to talk about the situation that commercial migratory beekeepers are facing concerning the almond pollination, as well as the parallels with the situation with Flint, Michigan's water crisis, and some of the things that perhaps some of the presidential candidates should be addressing. So I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Tom Theobald. Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon, June. Tom, the situation that Jim Doan is experiencing in Florida is something that we knew was going to happen for quite some time. What are you hearing from some of the other beekeepers? Well, I've talked to beekeepers in different parts of the country, and some are having a little better luck, but uh, all of them are suffering pretty severe losses. Even the best of them have had over 50% losses and maybe not outright losses but colonies that aren't adequate to rent out for pollination. I ran some of the figures that Jim Doan was talking about and and what he's describing are losses on the order of ninety five percent. This is a this is the disaster that we've been predicting for some time now and uh, has largely fallen on deaf ears. We've gotten no help from the regulatory agencies. Uh, in fact, they've uh, worked against our interests. This is a this is a very serious situation, and it's sad to hear Jim describe what the situation is in Florida because Jim has been knocked back several times and come back, and at some point we just can't keep coming back. It's almost insanity that he's even trying at this point. What exactly did Jim go through in order to try to resuscitate his business? Could you share that with the listeners, Tom? I think people really need to understand what he's been through just to try to keep together this business that just is not working. I don't have all the figures, but as I understand it, I think that at his peak, Jim had an operation of 5,000 colonies of bees, a fairly substantial commercial enterprise, and... I believe uh, Jim is a third-generation beekeeper, so this has been a family endeavor for many, many years. So he had 5,000 colonies. He was knocked back by the first appearance of these systemic pesticides, and uh, he, 
I talked to Jim at the Western Apiculture Society conference in October here in Boulder, and he had just contracted for about a thousand colonies of bees, and this was his second or third attempt to rebuild his operation. And uh, in the interview that we had with him last week, he's lost a good percentage of those. So the problem is, it doesn't really matter apparently how well we do our job as beekeepers. We theoretically can create healthy colonies of bees, but even that's in doubt. But let's assume that we can create healthy colonies of bees. What we're doing is we're sending these bees out into an environment that's so hostile to life that they cannot survive. And the statistics that Jim is talking about are a reflection of that. Tom, some of the feedback from social media was quite interesting. One particular listener was asking why the president hasn't done something about this, especially since there were two memos that were issued in support of pollinators. Part of the problem was uh, the system itself. It's an incestuous relationship, and uh, the president's intentions may have been good, but what he did was he put the USDA and the EPA in charge of addressing the concerns that he raised in his proclamation. And I've said in the past that this is like uh, putting the burglars in charge of investigating all these burglaries that are going on. And what we're getting is just more of the same. We're getting evasion and cover-ups and very little attention uh, drawn to the pesticide issue by this uh, response to the presidential proclamation and uh, it's clear to anyone who's taken the time to look at the science and the evidence that the neonicotinoids in particular the systemic pesticides are a major player in these losses and yet the agencies that we look to to protect our interests are doing the best they can to avoid these issues and cover them up We also had feedback from another listener who didn't understand why the almond pollination was so critical and suggested that perhaps since the almond growers are using so much water, perhaps they should go to other states. Tom, could you take a moment and explain the significance of the almond pollination and why almonds are such a big deal? California almond growers have a unique situation. They have the proper climate and the proper uh, environment to successfully raise almonds. The California almond producers raise about 80% of the world's almonds. Um, so it's ideally suited for the production of almonds. Now, water is always a concern, and it's been a particular concern in California with the recent years of drought, and that will probably end and we'll have more water and we'll recover from that, but drought will come again. But the almonds are going to be raised somewhere, and California is the ideal place to do that. It's the premier crop in California, about $6.5 billion a year, I believe, and it requires about 175 5 million colonies of bees, virtually every available colony in the United States. And there's some doubt this year whether 
there will be that number available. There will be some shortage of pollination. We'll see within the next two or three weeks just how severe that is. Well, it'll be interesting. I remember a couple years back when there were major bee die-offs during the almond pollination, and it affected the ability to pollinate other crops throughout the rest of the year. So now, even before they're going into almond pollination, they're starting off with so few colonies of bees. It'll be interesting to see exactly what they can do for this crop and how many industries are impacted because of the use of almonds in so many different types of products. I mean, people tend to forget that almonds are not just used for human consumption, but in so many different materials and and even as a key ingredient, of course. Well, I guess you might say almonds are the corn of California. Corn is a raw material for many, many things, and to a lesser degree, the almonds are. Uh, there are many ways the almonds are used. They're used for almond milk and all, all sorts of things. Not to the That's not to the degree that corn is, but uh, they're a commodity crop. Now, speaking of which, Tom, why are they even growing corn in Florida? That was something in the interview that just baffled me. Why are they growing corn in Florida? Florida is a tropical state from the little bit of feedback that I've been able to get from colleagues. It's primarily being grown for agricultural purposes for livestock. But it just does not make sense why the limited amount of agricultural land that is available for growing food would be used for corn. What do you think? You know, I can guess at why they might be doing that. Uh, there's a cattle industry in Florida, and corn is a is a raw material for cattle feed. They they may be doing some of that. There have uh, been significant difficulties for the citrus in, in industry, and maybe some of that land is being converted to other crops. One of the incentive for the commodity crops like corn is uh, agricultural subsidies. Even here in Boulder County, one of the uh, larger farmers, not a huge farmer, but a larger farmer in about a 10-year period, uh, got about a half million dollars in subsidies for crops that he was raising, and corn is a major one of those crops. So there may be some government incentive for the expansion of this corn growing into regions where you wouldn't expect it. Thanks, Tom. In the news, there's been a lot of discussion about the water crisis in Flint, Michigan. What's interesting is that the powers that be knew that there were going to be problems, but they still, you know, they thought that this was the best solution to switch water supplies. When it comes to neonicotinoids, it's been scientifically proven that the sublethal effects include the fact that they are mobile in groundwater. And basically, from what we understand, they're pretty much ubiquitous at this point in America. So I'm wondering, what is it going to take before our elected officials decide to take action to protect our drinking water? If uh, history is our guide, never. They... Uh... You know, I was struck by the parallels between the uh, 
lead problem in Flint and the neonicotinoid problem in the world at large. The lead uh, problem was sort of a compressed uh, version of what we're experiencing with the systemic pesticides. The, the children that have been exposed may not show the effects of that for years to come. And I think we may see the same thing with these systemic pesticides. They're very long-lasting. They're very insidious. And they've been used so extensively that uh, we may be initiating health problems that won't appear until several years down the road. And it's the same abrogation of responsibility to protect the interests and health of the people operating in the Flint situation and in the systemic pesticide situation. I, I've read that uh, one of the things that they suggested to Flint residents was that they boil their water. Well, <laughs> that's just ridiculous. That doesn't do anything to remove the lead and, in fact, may even concentrate it to some degree because of the evaporation of the water when the water is being boiled. My concern is that we may be starting processes that won't reveal themselves for years to come. We're now beginning to see health problems associated with these systemic pesticides. And uh, in effect, we're being told to boil our water. The label restriction that the EPA has crowed about so much that was supposed to address the neonicotinoid problem their recommendation is that those chemicals not be sprayed on blooming crops or weeds. That's a prohibition that's been in existence for many years. And for something that has a half-life of years, whether or not you spray it on the blooming crops is irrelevant. It's going to be around. It's going to be drawn up by the other plants, by non-target plants. It's going to migrate with the groundwater. In effect, the EPA is telling us to boil our water. Someone needs to get in the driver's seat here. Yeah, it's disturbing when you think about the direction that they're giving the public. And meanwhile, this whole thing is sad, and it's something that could have been prevented. But once again, the people that are put into positions where they're supposed to be looking out for the best interests of the people and for the environment, and they don't. Things have got to change. Well, this is a criminal enterprise predicated on exploiting the environment and human health for profit. These are billion-dollar products, and the, these megacorporations have externalized their costs. Their costs come in the form of damage to the environment, and more and more it's appearing damage to human health. Were they held responsible for those damages, these would not be profitable products. This is a criminal enterprise. When it comes to the election, food security is not something that has been even once discussed. Considering the situation that Jim Doan was just describing on our last show, Tom, what are we supposed to think? Well, I, I haven't watched these debates very closely because I'm excluded to some degree. I don't have cable TV. Most of these debates have been on cable TV, but I have watched a little of it. I don't think that the problems that we're talking about today are even on their radar. Uh, I, I don't know what to expect from any of these people. 
they're all just talking heads for the corporate world. It's a clown show. Well, it remains to be seen. I guess we'll see as things evolve what becomes an issue and what does not. Tom, I just want to say thanks for joining me this week. And once again, we will continue next week as we explore the impact of neonicotinoids on the environment. Well, thank you too, June. We do our best, and we may fall short sometimes, but we do our best. Folks, once again, if you have any questions or comments for me or for Tom, please feel free to reach out to us at questions at theorganicview.com, or you can send a message on social media on Twitter or on Facebook. Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.